Tēnā koto katoa and hello everybody. Welcome to the Lentil Intervention Podcast. My name is Ben Adelberg and I'm coming to you from Tamaki Makaura, Auckland. Tēnei kamihi ke te mana whenua o Aotearoa. And we acknowledge the local tribal authorities of New Zealand. And g'day, I'm Emma Strutt and I'm currently coming to you from Durrambul country in Queensland. Before we dive into our conversation today, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. And finally, if you enjoy this potty, please subscribe, like, share or comment on our social media and consider buying us a coffee if you'd like to help support our work. Now on with the show. We talk a lot about the environmental and health impacts of climate change. Yet, in four seasons, we have never covered the economic impacts, something that has far greater impact than we may realise. Today, we're speaking with Professor Ellen Noy, Chair in the Economics of Disasters and Climate Change at Victoria University of Wellington. Professor Noy is also the founding editor-in-chief of the journal Economics of Disaster and Climate Change, and his research and teaching focuses on the economic aspects of natural hazards, disasters, climate change, and other related topics in environmental development. One of his recent publications assessed the global costs of extreme weather that are attributable to climate change, and we'll be giving you a rundown of that paper today. Ellen, thank you so much for joining us. Kira Ben, Kira Emma, uh, nice to be with you. Ilan, uh, just to um, kick things off, uh, I'd love to learn a little bit about your personal background. From what I've seen, you've lived in at least four very diverse parts of the world, but how you came to be in um, this field of work? Um, well, first of all, about my background, I grew up in Israel, um, so that's that's where my accent comes from. Um, and I, um, when I grew up in Israel, I um, finished my um, undergraduate degree in Israel, my university degree in, in, in Israel, and then decided that I had to leave. And um, I left for the United States. I pursued a doctorate studies there in economics. Um, and at the time, this was um, just after the Asian financial crisis. So I did work on financial crises. So the Asian financial crisis was 97, 98. Um, and I just started just after that. So that uh, I, I focused on that because I, I, I was in Asia during the crisis and I realized that it was a very uh, important of event for the, um, um, for the um, region. Uh, specifically, it hit five, five countries, Thailand, Korea, Malaysia, Indonesia, and the Philippines. Um, <laughs> and then um, I got, you know, I finished my doctorate. I, I got a first job as a, as, a, as a professor at the university, at the University of Hawaii. So I moved to, uh, to Honolulu and, and started teaching there. Um, and then we uh, had, unfortunately, the Southeast Asian, um, uh, the Indian Ocean Tsunami in 2004. Um, so I realized pretty quickly, maybe two days after the event, when everybody was, at the time, everybody was glued to the televisions because this is the first time we've ever seen tsunami on TV and, and, and was, of course, horrific. And many, many, many people died, probably almost a quarter of a million people. Um, and at the time, I sort of, you know, I was an economist, a practicing economist, um, and I realized um, um, two things. One is that um, this is a very big economic event. Besides the human tragedy and 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 all the grief and all of that, it also 
it's a huge economic shock to this to this um, the, the affected region in, in the case of Aceh in, in Indonesia and also Thailand because it hit a very uh, heavily touristy area so it the island of Phuket um, it hit Sri Lanka again along the tourism area so it's a very it's a very important economic event other than just not just but other than the the human the human tragedy and the other thing i realized is the same tools i ha- i've sort of developed and used when i was looking at financial crisis i can also use to to look at at this event uh, because it's a different type of shock so financial crisis is one type of shock you know the tsunami was a different type of shock so i started looking at at um disasters um sort of those disasters that are caused by natural hazards like tsunamis like earthquakes like uh, hurricanes and and so forth um and i spent probably a decade doing that looking at various economic impacts of these events and then sometimes about maybe 10 years ago um or so um i realized that these extreme weather events are also of course related to climate change um and and since then i've been also focusing on on climate change but specifically not on a lot of other questions you can ask about climate change but specifically on extreme weather events and and how they're because climate change is changing the frequency and intensity of extreme weather events what does that imply in terms of um uh, the costs of climate change um to the economy and that's where my you know the paper that you already mentioned that that paper is in that line of of research in in the paper that you mentioned with which i'm trying to be more global in it than than in many other in a lot of the other work i've done it's much more specific to a specific circumstance and or a specific event and we, we can maybe talk about that in detail yeah that's basically my life story in i mean in between i had you know married had three kids uh and so forth and did a lot of other things but that's basically my my life story so what brought you to new zealand is is the australasian region just a hotbed for good research we've we we give you um, good fires we give you lots of flooding we give you <laughs> earthquake risks volcano risk i mean it's a good place to research so uh, out there is definitely a good place if you're in, in, interested in natural hazards um and sort of why did i I started my sort of tour around the globe going from Israel west and and I went to California and then went to Hawaii and in New Zealand and and sort of just moving west um but um it's a mixture of of personal reasons that brought me to to Aotearoa um you know quality of life is an obvious motivation to 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 come to New Zealand uh and also I came just after the Christchurch earthquake um so at the time of the Christchurch earthquake um which was a very big event for New Zealand um by far the biggest disaster in New Zealand history um in terms of um in terms of the economic impact of that event um and so there was interest here in in New Zealand to to fund this position that I'm in now which is this chair in the economics of disasters and climate change it originally it was called just a chair in economics of disasters and it was funded uh by the New Zealand government uh pretty much um soon after the uh Christchurch earthquake and I'm sort of I was hired um 
in that position, uh, for that position. And that's when I came to, um, to Wellington with my uh, family. So tell us more about that research group and the kinds of work that you're doing there. Yeah, so um, I'm leading a research group that is, is about, about fluctuates in size, but it's about 10 people. Um, and um, we are working on the economics of disasters and climate change. Um, and, and, and I'm kind of boring. That's all my life. It's, it's, this, it's this topic. Um, it's, um, but it could be a very, very wide, diverse um, list of topics that are related to this. Because, um, the, you know, when we're talking about economic impacts, we can think of, you know, the grand macroeconomic impacts on, on you know, GDP in a country hit by a, by a specific event. But we can also think at the, at the micro level on households and what happens to them when they're hit by an extreme event and what happens to their decisions about consumption, what happens to their decisions about investment in education or in health, what are the long-term consequences for their well-being because of this, uh, what is the implications for um, uh, prices and trade and, and what is the uh, implication of these uh, the, the consequences of those uh, events in sort of a, at every level from the macro to the very micro and for a wide diversity of, of relevant um, impacts. You can also look at it not just in terms of consequences, but also in terms of how do you mitigate, how do you prevent, where should you be preventing when you, you know, one of the basic tenets of economics is we live in in a world in which there are not an infinite amount of resources so when we don't have an infinite amount of resources we need to prioritize for example uh, so for example i have a project on looks at at um, at Fanganuyata in wellington um and looks at you know we have a whole lot long list of buildings that are um potentially risky for earthquakes and we need to decide okay how do we prioritize which buildings will we do for we, we retrofit first because we can't do all 200 office buildings in the city at the same time we need to decide on prioritization that prioritization has to do with the risk to human mortality but also with the economic role of the building the cost of the retrofitting how difficult it is how quickly you can do it so there's a whole list of it's just an example of another type of work so there's there could be a, a, a very large diverse and you know, I look now. I have a student who is looking at um, the impact of marine heat waves on fisheries. Okay, uh, on fisheries production in in New Zealand, or um, on the impact of tropical cyclone on fisheries in the Philippines. Um, right. So, it, it, very large set of potential topics, but all of them have to do with the economics of disasters and climate change. And in 2017, you also co-founded a new scientific journal of the same name. So what was the driving force behind establishing yeah, that? Um, uh, the, the, the main driving force there, there was that my colleagues, the economics prof profession, um, was, um, I felt, ignoring this issue. Um, so I felt that maybe two things they are ignoring. A, um, disasters are a very big development issue uh, because many, many low-income and low-middle-income countries are facing a, 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 a 
a lot of impact from disasters and and that is a main um obstacle for them to to um to de- to, to develop and, and obtain you know better standards of living better health better education and, and so on and so forth maybe a, a sort of an example for that uh in 2015 uh, vanuatu was hit by um by tropical cyclone uh, pam um, which was a very big event for um, Vanuatu. It hit the, the capital city and so forth. And, and the, the, um, the president at the time, or his prime minister, I'm sorry, I forget if it's in Vanuatu, it's prime minister or president. But um, he said that this event um, sort of put Vanuatu 10 years back in terms of its development, right? So, so my profession, economics, was ignoring the importance of these disasters as a main issue for development economics. Okay, and I was doing all this work on these if, if, these events in the various developing countries that I was investigating. A lot of South, in Southeast Asia, some in Latin America, um, and and I didn't feel that I was getting the um, the attention that this issue this, that this issue was getting the attention it deserved. Not that I personally, but that the issue didn't get the attention it deserved in development economics. Um, I also felt, um, and to some extent, I still feel that the economics profession is not focused enough on climate change. Uh, that has changed a bit or changed quite a lot in the last two years, but only in the last two years. So up to two years ago, the, the issue of climate change mostly did not exist in economics, except for one one issue. And that may be something you've already talked about in your um, in your podcast, and that is um, the Possibly what the, most economists say, the best way to deal with climate change is to put some uh, uh, price on carbon. So tax carbon or do an emission trading scheme of some sort. And, uh, and, and that's the best way to deal with it from an economic perspective. And that's it. That was the extent of uh, what economists have been doing on climate change. And I thought, and I still think, that there is a lot more that needs to be done and there is no there's no journal in economics that focuses on this topic as a signal that this is an important topic. So that's basically the motivation. The motivation was there is no journal that highlights this as a, as a those two topics, the, the disasters and climate change, as topics that are worthy of specific attention from the economic profession. Um, so I want to you know create a journal that that does highlight the need to do this this work on on these. Um, Issues and then I basically approached the, the two main publishers for academic journals, which is Elsevier and Springer, um, uh, and 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 yeah, and got an approval from them. You know, they went through an assessment: is this a real topic? And yes, they concluded climate change is a real topic, and actually there is public interest in the topic. And 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 then then we started this journal. Now, you say the name of your research group initially was Economics of Disasters and then later changed to include climate change. At what point did that change? Was that a self-realization that, you know what, there's a link? Or is it just because we're getting to a point now where it's important, so maybe we should? I woke up and realized, okay, climate change, I mean, I knew about climate change before that, of course, but it Mm. wasn't an issue that I was specifically focused on. Uh, because most of it was about carbon trading and carbon prices and, and how do you yeah. reduce emissions. And I wasn't working on that topic. And I, I, the, when I realized that this is also linked to extreme events, to disasters, 
that's when I said, okay, I, I need to work on, on climate change as well, because my sort of professional knowledge and my tool toolbox and so forth are also relevant to this issue of, of climate change. And then we added the name to the to the chair and started the journal with the same name and 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 so on and so forth. So let's let's talk about your recent paper then, the global cost of extreme weather that are attributable to climate change. Um, Firstly, maybe let's just set the scene a little as to why the need for this paper. So could you maybe talk us through the main ways of assessing the cost of climate change currently used in the literature, what the potential deficiencies are and the approach that you used in this paper instead? Yeah, so so the main or probably almost the only way that to assess the costs of climate change um, up to up to this, at least this, this strand of work, um, has been to, to do what we call integrated assessment models. So the integrated assessment models are basically a model of the climate, a model of the economy, and the two are integrated together. The two are linked together with a pretty basic equation that says, you know, if there is the, the change in the global average temperature is, say, half a degree or one degree, then that translates to a certain impact on the global economy. Okay, that's the most simple link. Sometimes they, the links are a bit more nuanced. So, you know, if there's a one um, degree change in the global average temperature, then that translates to this amount of change, this amount of cost in this sector and this amount of cost in this sector. But it's a pretty basic um, um, setup. And, and what that setup ignores is extreme events uh, because it looks at the change in the global average temperature, okay? Um, and, it, and it ignores extreme uh, events. It ignores a lot of other things, by the way. It ignores mortality, it ignores environmental impacts, it ignores sort of cultural impacts on cultural assets and all kinds of other things, but it, it, it also ignores um, extreme weather events, uh, which is the topic that I'm, I'm sort of, um, interested in. So that sort of motivated us, and, and I'm part of a, a group of people who work in this um, space, uh, is to use a tool that climate scientists have been developing um, to look at the role of climate change in extreme weather events to say something about the economic impact. Um, so sort of you can think about it as the standard method is a, is a, is a top-down let's model the economy and the climate and, and do some reduced form assessment of the, the, the costs or, or a sort of a bottom up, let's look at specific events, let's look at the role of climate change in those events and then quantify therefore what is the, the cost of, of climate change, at least in terms of changing um, the probability and intensity of, of extreme weather events. So that's, that has been my approach. Um, sort of caveat here, I'm only trying to quantify what is the role of climate change through extreme weather events. There's a lot of other things that climate change is doing that I'm not quantifying. So for example, sea level rise, the slow rising of the seas that causes, you know, salinization of various um, agricultural land and potentially, you know, floods various areas in, in some cases vast areas uh, or, you know, um, ocean acidification. So all these slow moving processes 
that I'm not quantifying at all, and they are costly. Okay, um, and we're just we are just quantifying the cost of extreme um, the, the climate change part of extreme uh, weather events. Can we take just a quick step back and just define economic impact? Are we talking about the cost to repair or adapt? Are, are we talking about the loss of, as you've mentioned, a productivity or, or uh, growth and so on? Define what economic impact actually means. Okay, so in, in, in each paper or in each project that I'm doing, I'm, I'm potentially defining that term. I'm looking at the subset of the economic impacts and clearly defined, right? So in the paper that, that you mentioned um, uh, at the global paper that we can talk about later, um, I'm quantifying the, the value of damages, the monetary value of damages, um, and also the monetary value of mortality. And we can talk about that as, as a, as a, and how I do that and, and so forth. And, and what's the, is that a problematic attempt or not? Mm. But, um, but, you know, there are a lot of other economic impacts that we are not quantifying. So, for example, you can think of it not as the value of damages, but the cost of reconstruction uh, when you have damages. That, that's potentially a different value than, than the value of, of what was damaged, right? Um, you can talk about the con other types of economic impacts, like like harm to income, reduced income, um, reduced you know ability to spend on human capital. I have another project that looks at human capital. Human capital is sort of the way economists call health and education, basically. Um, so, what is the harm from climate change to uh, health, and what is the harm to education? as these are the sort of the main two inputs in how productive we can be. That's why we call it human capital, mm, right? Yeah. So the more educated the harder the, we are and the healthier we are, the more productive we can be. Um, and, and that's why, so, so, you know, that's also something we can look at health and we can look at um, education. Um, and, and of course, these things have very long-term impact. So if there's harm to health or education, that's potentially has a lifelong uh, impact on, on your productivity and potentially not only to your productivity, but also to your children and your grandchildren, because these things, um, uh, get transferred through the generations, but that's, so potentially we can even look at, at that as an economic impact. So the fact that, for example, uh, from extreme weather events, some people get, um, reduced access to education and because of that, they're less educated would potentially mean that their children will be less educated because we know that by far the most important determinant of, of education is how much education your parents had, right? If you have more educated parents, you're much more likely to have more education. Um, so, you know, you can see that translate through generations and potentially have very, very long-term economic impact. Um, so what we call the economic impact can be a very large diversity of um, of variables that we can we can analyze and we can trace and we can quantify. Um, I should add that the main value of quantification is because um, we need to develop policies. Okay, um, we're not just doing this work because we are we have we are curious and we are you know just find it interesting, but because we want to 
understand what is the how how much should we prioritize this issue, right? The world is with dealing with a lot of problems, um, right? Climate change is just one of them. So we need to understand what is the magnitude of this problem, so that we can decide should we prioritize this over other problems, okay? Or how much resources should we, you know? direct to that problem rather than a lot of other problems that we have. We have child poverty, child malnutrition. That's, that's a very urgent problem, right? Um, and on, on the other hand, we, we can think of other problems that we have that may be less, uh, less urgent or less important or less big than, 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 than climate change. And that's why I think that those quantifications are, are useful and important and, and why I'm pursuing them. And I mean, obviously, extreme weather events have the significant costs associated with them. No one's arguing that these events aren't yeah. part of the natural kind of climatic system, but they are increasing in frequency and intensity. And that's thanks to what we're doing. Um, that means there are reported disaster losses are going to be increasing too. Um, and whether or not that does bump it up to, you know, number one, number two concern, that's debatable. But what kind of increases are we actually talking about here yes so um let me just um reframe it a little bit um so disasters are the impact of disasters is a function of of the hazard so these extreme weather phenomena but they are also a function of our exposed exposure to them and our vulnerability to them right um you know, so in, in some places, for example, I live in, in Fanganui Atara in, in, in Wellington, um, a hundred kilometer an hour wind is not really a disaster here because we get that on almost a daily basis. Um, so, you know, everything is sort of tied down. So when, when you have a hundred kilometer an hour wind gusts, nothing really gets destroyed. But in a lot of other places around the world, 100 kilometer an hour wind will cause massive amount of destruction because they're not built to, to withstand that kind of, um, of wind, right? Because you don't have that on a regular basis. So there is a lot of importance in terms of disaster impact, also of exposure and vulnerability rather than just the hazard itself. So we know that the hazard is becoming more intense or more frequent. These are just two sides of the same coin. It's not really a different either or, it's just looking at it a bit differently, right? Um, so we know these events are becoming um, um, more frequent or more intense. That does not necessarily mean that we will have more impacts. If we manage to reduce vulnerability and exposure, um, then we potentially have, but then we need to invest in, in, in reducing exposure, for example, move, moving away from dangerous areas or reducing vulnerability by, you know, building roofs that won't blow blow away in a hundred kilometer an hour winds, right? Um, so I'm just sort of being a bit cautious here about, you know, it's not necessarily that the impacts are going to be um, and be higher. In practice, they are because we're not doing enough to reduce exposure and vulnerability for various other reasons. And I've done some work on on that, for example, or work on managed retreat. Why are we not reducing um, exposure by moving away from harmful location? That's the term, manage retreat in the climate space. Um, yeah, so what 
we are doing here. So as you said, extreme weather events have always happened. Um, there's nothing new about storms and floods and, and you know, ancient China had a lot of floods and, and, and you know, um, ancient Israel had um, um, droughts. You know, the seven lean years and the seven rich years and the story of Moses and, 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 and not Moses, um, um, Joseph. Um, so um, these events have always happened, but we know from the science, and this is where, you know, I can use what the science, the climate scientists are telling me, is we know we can now quantify for specific weather events, specific weather events or specific types of weather events, how much those events are changing in terms of the frequency or the intensity, right? Um, and and we, we, what, this is what we call attribution. We attribute, for a specific event, we attribute either the changing probability of the event. So take, I don't know, wildfires in, in, in take the flood, take the tropical cyclone we had in, the extra-tropical cyclone we had in here in Aotearoa, Gabriel, um, earlier um, this year in 2023, uh, which was a hugely destructive event, by far the the most damaging extreme weather event in well at least 50 years. Um, and that um, we can talk about either that event becoming more likely because of climate change, and we can quantify by how much that event became more likely. Um, or we can talk about the intensity, so how much that event became more intense because of ch climate change. So sort of you're thinking about two, two different thought experiments on, you know, how much that event would have been less intense if there was no climate change. So if we didn't have these, all that greenhouse gases that we spewed into the atmosphere in the last 150 years, that event would have been less, either less likely just wouldn't, you know, less, less, less probability that would have happened or it would have been less intense. So it's, it's two ways of basically asking the same question, which is how did climate change change the parameters of the, that, that extropical cyclone, Gabriel, okay? So this is attribution work and this is what I'm building on when I'm doing the, um, the economic analysis. So in regards to, like, I'm just pulling up your paper now, um, in the comment where the World Meteorological Association reported a sevenfold increase in reported disaster losses from extreme weather since 1970s. Um, how much of that is associated, do you think, with actual anthropogenic climate change or is it just a difference in reporting methodology or what do you think is contributing to it's, that? It's all of the above. It's, a, it's, it's all a of the above. in reporting. It's a change in exposure. Um, so a um, lot more people are moving to coasts and things like in places like that that are much more exposed to uh, extreme weather events. Uh, some changes in vulnerability, so some areas are becoming more vulnerable. So some cities, because the safest areas have already been settled, so they're now settling the, 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 the more risky areas, so vulnerability in some cities is in increasing. Um, and it's, it's climate change, okay? Of that reported sevenfold increase that the World Meteorological Organization is quoting, how much is each one of them? I don't really know. Uh, and that's not something we, we have the ability to know at this point in time. Um, 
we we sort of take a different tack, and that is we look at specific types and classes of economic events, and we're trying to describe in the last 20 years, um, what do we know about the changing um, likelihood of these events? Uh, and therefore, you know, if, for example, a, an event, a, a type of event, let's say a, a hurricane in the Caribbean becomes 20% more likely, so we can argue that 20% of the damages from hurricanes in the last 20 years are because of climate change. Or, or you could put it differently, 20% of the hurricanes that occurred in the last 20 years are because of climate change. And 80% would have happened anyway. Okay, And then we can start to quantify, okay, if 20% of the hurricanes that happen are because of climate change, what was the cost for these hurricanes? Uh, and, and then we collect the data on what was the damage from those hurricanes. Um, both in terms of the damage to assets, to buildings, to roads, to you know electricity systems and so forth, and mortality. And then we can quantify, okay, the, that's the cost for, for hurricanes in the Caribbean. We can similarly do it for um, you know flooding in Europe or um, um, you know droughts in Australia or, or, or wherever, right? Um, so that's basically what we do in, in, in that paper. We understand what is the changing likelihood of those events. We understand what the cost of those events are. And then we basically combine the two pieces of information to understand what is the cost of those events in the last 20 um, years. We can't identify a trend here because we only have 20 years of data. Um, and it's just a few events in each location or each type of event. So you can't really, from two events or three events, you don't really know if, if there is a trend here. Okay. So we're not trying to identify a trend. We're trying to identify the share of the events that is associated with, um, with climate change. One, more, uh, one thing that I didn't really define is what I mean by climate change. By climate change, I mean um, um, the change in the amount of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere that occurred as a result of anthropogenic activities, so human activity in the past um, 150 years. And actually it's the past 150 years, but most of it is in the past 30, 40 years, right? By far most of the uh, greenhouse gases that we've added into the atmosphere is not, it's not our grandparents who have done that, it's us and I'm 53. so. I'm to blame as much as anyone. And, and you know, it, it is this, these 50 years in which by far most of the greenhouse gases have been um, emitted into the atmosphere. Uh, so that's, that's my definition of climate change. It's the impact of those greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. So it's anthropogenic climate change. It's not other changes in the climate that have nothing to do with our activity. You mentioned earlier, the started talking a little bit about the attribute of costs for such events. Let's dig a little bit deeper. And you, you spoke about value of life. How does one put a price or a cost? Let, let me first argue that it's important to look at mortality. Okay, that mortality is important and we care about people dying and that's why I want to quantify it. Um, not because I sort of discount it and I want to attach a dollar value, but actually because I think it's important, I think it's important to quantify it. Okay. Um, and now in, in terms of the 
approach. It's the same approach that we we have that I've already sort of suggested. It's if if say twenty percent of the hurricanes in the Caribbean, the probability of a hurricane occurring in the Caribbean is twenty percent more likely. So twenty percent of the probability is because of um, climate change. Then we can we can measure the damages the, the the damages to assets from from climate from hurricanes in the Caribbean in the past twenty years and twenty percent of that is because of climate change and similarly mortality so say a thousand people died because of hurricanes in the Caribbean I don't remember the actual number but let's say it's a thousand then twenty percent of that is because of climate change okay so that's um, you know that's two hundred people okay so I can say two hundred people and um, you know, $2 million of damages, right? And just keep the two separate, okay? So that may be useful, but um, I think there is something useful about trying to aggregate everything into a metric that will allow us to say this event is more important than that event, okay? So there, when you are trying to aggregate something that is measured in dollars and something that is measured in, in, in human lives, you, there are basically two ways you can do it. Either measure everything in dollars to convert the mortality into dollars, um, or you can convert the dollar value into measurements of human lives, okay? And in different works, I've done either one of those things. Um, I doubt it will be interesting to get into more deeply of why you know what you, why you would prefer one to the other. The standard way that most economists do is convert mortality to 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 dollar value. Okay, um, that I know that sounds a bit heartless. Um, I acknowledge that, but it it is something that is implicit in all government policy everywhere and around the world. Okay, so governments ultimately have to decide how to spend their money. Right. So to give you an example, they need to decide whether they should um, widen a road to make it more safe. OK, so in principle, if for every road in the city, you, you, you have it five lanes each, each side and allow every car to only go there at 10 kilometers an hour, no one would ever die of traffic accidents. Right. Um, but we don't do that. We don't do that because it's very would be very 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 costly to do, right? Um, so ultimately, there is an implicit trade-off there between saving human lives and the cost of preventing that those deaths, right? So governments all the time do these implicit calculations about okay, we can do this policy and that will save a number of lives. Is that worthwhile investment or not, right? So every government has these decisions on how much a human life is valued. Okay, Australian government, New Zealand government has it. In New Zealand, it's $5 million. Um, I'm not sure what Australia has. Um, but our Ministry of Transport uses, I think it's $5.2 million or something like New Zealand dollars. Okay, So it's implicit in a lot of decisions that we, we put a dollar value on human life. So we're not, I'm not doing something that is and usually it's just usually something that people don't like to talk about. So governments definitely don't typically. So you don't hear a politician saying, you know, hey, we value a human life on as five million and this will save your life, but it will cost us six million. So we're not doing it. Um, 
right? Uh, we never hear anyone saying that, but exp- implicitly, that's, they are doing that all the time. Policymakers do that all the time. So what I'm doing is, I'm okay, I'm taking that 200 people who died in the Caribbean because of climate change, to go back to my example, and I'm attaching a dollar value to that. Um, and which dollar value? Well, I just sort of almost randomly took the, the average of what the US government uses and what the UK government does. Okay, uh, oddly, um, the life of American is worth a lot more than the life of a, a Brit. Um, so the UK government uses, I think, I don't remember exactly the number, it's in the paper, but it's two, two point something million pounds. And the US government uses t- about 10 million US dollars. Why the difference? I don't know. They have different policy frameworks and they've reached different conclusions about this. So I just, just use the average of the two, which amounts to about 7 million US dollars. Um, and, and that's the number uh, we use. And that's the number we use globally. So every single person around the world who died in those extreme weather events because of climate change, um, we, we, we multiply that mortality by $7 million. You can say that, well, actually, seven million is too much or too little or or whatever. And the point is, we we use the same number for everyone around the world. So you know, mortality is equally um, horrendous in in from this perspective in a, anywhere around the world. And at least from an ethical point of view, I think that's an acceptable um, assumption. Whether it's seven million or five million or should be six point five million, I don't don't really know and and you know if someone is uncomfortable with the number they can we put all the data online they can use their own number um but the point we are we we do argue in in the paper is that mortality is actually a very big issue in terms of the overall cost so when you compare the mortality cost to the damage costs um, mortality is actually very very important and and that's something that's not usually understood we need to also understand that a lot of the damages happen in high-income countries and a lot of the mortality happens in low-income countries, okay? So once you start adding those two together, you understand that a lot of the problem is in the low-income countries where there isn't much assets and therefore the damage to assets from these extreme weather events is not very high, right? But, um, but there is a lot of mortality caused by these events. And once you sort of multiply that by the $7 million sort of price tag that we use, and well, I'm, it's radio, so, so the air quotes are not really captured, but you know, I'm, 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 I don't really mean it cynically as a price tag, right? Uh, over that, but that's, that's the number, the value we use. Um, once you multiply the, the amount of mortality that is happening in low-income countries because of climate change, and you multiply it by $7 million, you understand that this is actually a very, very big issue from a global perspective. To quote the figures from your paper, you state 143 billion US dollars per year of the cost of extreme events is attributable to climate change, of which the majority, 63% of this is due to human lost life. So it's just to elaborate on your point, how significant that is. 63% of the 143 US billion dollars is attributed to human loss. So the figure that you've put, that just really highlights how significant that is. 
Yeah, so it highlights the significance of mortality. It also highlights the significance of the impact of extreme weather events because of climate change. Because $143 billion is a very large sum of money. Um, and, and, you know, I think the best way to think about that, is that really a big, you know, yes, it has a lot of zeros, but that usually for most people, you know, it has nine zeros in it. Does that really matter if it has 10 zeros or eight zeros or, or so on? So we need to compare it to some magnitude that we can sort of relate to. And I think that my best comparison to that is to how much we are, we have agreed in the UNFCCC, the United Nations Framework for um, uh, Climate Change, um, how much we have agreed to um, spend on, on, um, on this issue. So basically, when we're talking about spending on, on the climate change problem, we're talking about three things. We're talking about mitigation, adaptation, and loss and damage, right? Um, well, how much have we agreed to spend on loss and damage? Up to now, nothing. Next year, we have a, a, a COP, a conference of the, you know, the big global uh, meeting for climate change. And in that COP, we may, if we're lucky, get some, some start of a loss and damage fund. But the other two, two issues we are spending on is mitigation and um, adaptation, right? And in that space, in, in, in that um, 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 mitigation and adaptation, we have agreed to spend, that's in the Paris Agreement from 2015, we have agreed to spend $100 billion a year, right? Um, and that $100 billion a year, that was the agreement we have never produce that amount of money, okay? Till today, there hasn't been $100 billion available for mitigation and, um, and adaptation. Roughly 90% has been spent from whatever money there was, and never, again, never 100 billion, but let's ignore that. Let's assume there was 100 billion, because that was the agreement. Uh, just countries who promised didn't quite cough up the, the amount that they promised. Um, from that, about 90% was spent on, on um, mitigation, about 10% was spent on adaptation. So in principle, we've promised the world to spend about $10 billion on adaptation to fix a problem that costs us already $143 billion a year. Okay, so the size of the problem is way bigger than the size of the tool we are trying to use to deal with it. Um, and, and that to me suggests that we are sort of underestimating the cost of climate change. And we are underestimating the need to, to spend resources and do something about it. Okay, So in my view, $143 billion is a lot of money. It is, way, and we also compare that to what, if we go back to our earlier discussion about integrated assessment models, it's significantly more than what the integrated assessment models are assessing as the current cost of, of climate change. Um, and in the paper, we do some comparisons and we show that, that, you know, that number $143 billion is way more than the most well-known integrated assessment model assess, um, uh, that is used. So, Ellen, this question links to a different paper you've published previously about economists' involvement in the IPCC and considering there is such a difference between what you're estimating and what we're actually spending here, um, I'd like to get your opinion on economists' involvement in the IPCC reports because obviously 
they provide important material for governments to draw on base their policies around, at least in theory. Um, but do you think that economists are engaged enough with the IPCC reports and the working groups? And if not, what would the benefits be of increasing their representation? Um, no, they are not engaged enough. Um, and this, this already, you know, I already mentioned that when I was talking about um, the journal and why I started this journal. I think most economists sort of ignored this problem um, for a long time. Um, and that has only changed in the last two years. Um, probably it's, as I think, sort of oddly enough as, as a consequence of COVID. Um, so most economists, once COVID, the COVID pandemic started, sort of redirected their efforts into looking at the COVID problem. Because again, it was a problem that sort of economists have ignored completely. Pandemic as a, as a risk has been ignored by the economic profession up to, um, up to 2020. Um, and, um, and then they, they did some, many economists did some work on, on the pandemics, on, on the pandemic risk in, in, in those sort of two years of the, the main two years of the pandemic, of course, it's still ongoing, but, but the main two years of the pandemic, 2020, uh, 2020 and 2021. And then they realized actually there are other problems in the world that we need to be thinking about. And one of them obvious one is climate change. Um, so a lot of economists have very recently started to be interested in this issue of, of climate change. Um, there, so, so no, economists are not, uh, they're not heavily involved in the IPCC. And if you look at, you know, the list of IPCC authors and so on, and which is what we do in that paper, we show that the, um, not only there is not much involvement, um, it's also, um, um, they're less involved now than they used to be maybe 15 years ago. Um, largely because 15 years ago, they had one message. And that one message was, and I mentioned that already, we need to tax carbon, either through a direct tax or through an emission trading scheme. And then we will solve the, um, the climate problem. So it's a very simple proposition. It's, to some extent, it's very true also, if we could get that that thing moving, but um, we haven't. Um, and and then, you know, most economists thought, okay, from an economic perspective, I, I solved the, the climate problem. All we need to do is a tax and I'm going on to, to my research on, I don't know, cricket. Um, and um, I think it's only recently re people started to realize, okay, this is actually not the case. I mean, we haven't solved the problem. We have a suggested tool, nobody's using it, or hardly anyone is using it. Um, so even in countries we have been using it for a long time, like in New Zealand, we have had an emission trading scheme for quite a while, but throughout most of that period, the price has been so abysmally low that it didn't make any impact. Um, so our estimate is that the price should probably be, you know, north of $100 a ton to have any significant impact on emissions. But when it's $5 a ton, then it's not making any kind of impact. And that, that's been throughout most of the time that this system has been uh, in place in, in New Zealand. So economists have only recently became more interested. There's a, I, I discuss in the paper a lot of other reasons that have to do with the methodology that economists use and so forth that also 
prevent them to from being more in deeply engaged in this um, in this uh, topic. But the, and there is also you know like anything in it, like every economist, I also think about demand and supply, right? So it's it's both the the supply of economists interested in the topic that that is an issue, but also the demand um, from the IPCC. So there's been some issues in the past with clash of personalities between some economists and other IPCC authors that made it made a lot of the people who are central to the IPCC uh, to be very suspicious of economists. Um, and 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 therefore, sort of, there is a, both a demand and supply issue. But I largely blame my profession, economics, as 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 not engaging enough with this. In my view, a very very important um, issue that we could address and we should address. Um, it, it, we could, you know, it, it, this is a fixable issue: uh, climate change. You know, I come from Israel. I'm aware that some issues are not fixable. Um, but um, but but this one is. And we just haven't fixed it completely. We've failed miserably. Um, we have known about this problem. The first paper that looked at the, the greenhouse problem was published, what is it, 130 years ago. Um, so we've had pretty of advance notice, a lot of advance notice about this, um, and we haven't done much. Um, so we need to we need to get our act together, and 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 part of you know that quantification is to say, yes, this is this is a real issue. It's a real issue, not in the future. So this hundred and forty three billion dollar number that I I find, I identify, I, I analyze, um, is now. It's not. You know, 20 years from now or 50 years from now, by, by 2100, we will be, you know, paying $143 billion a year. It's in the past 20 years. On average, every year, we paid $143 billion because of this failure. Um, what it will be in the future, it will be more. Uh, it won't be less. It will be much more because the changing probability and intensity of extreme weather events is just becoming more and more, you know. So, yeah. This conversation has been absolutely fascinating and really uh, sort of opened our eyes to to the economic impacts. It's something we, we we've never really taken into consideration. You know, the 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 value placed on life makes it easier to to quantify. You know, you put a figure out. Wow, that's a big figure. It just it just brings a, a this additional layer of, of of reality for say in an ideal world the next round of IPCC report we've got a lot of PhD students and other scientists and academics that listen to this podcast and so on what would your message be to bring the economic component more into play when reporting? and communicating science? Um, first of all, I don't, the next IPCC report is like eight years away. So I'm thinking about the COP next week, the, the, the big global meeting next week, rather than eight years away. What can I, 
how can I change the dial eight years from now? I'm not interested in that. I want to change the dial next week. Um, mm-hmm. In the discussions in the in 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 the COP in in um, the United Arab Emirates, right? Um, so next week, delegates from all over the world, including from you know from out there, or from from Australia, from everywhere, are going to sort of um, arrive at um, in in Dubai, and 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 they're going to discuss, for example, the loss and damage fund, right? So this is this fund that we decided on, we, meaning the world, decided on last year in the Glasgow meeting. Um, and we now need to flesh out um, many things about that fund, how it will be structured, how it will be um, distributing its uh, resources, and specifically, how much money it needs. So this is something that I, you know, this this kind of quantification, I think, allows us to say, okay, this is how much money is needed in this loss and damage fund, and also allows us to say who should receive this money. Um, largely, it's those developing uh, or low-income countries who are experiencing high mortality because of these extreme events. Not only them, because there's a lot of other impacts in a lot of other places, but if I had to prioritize, because we live in a world in which there are no infinite resources, and why, while I hope that the loss and damage fund will have $143 billion a year, I think a much more realistic number is much, much lower than that because I don't see the world you know, contributing that amount of resources. So where we should prioritize, we should prioritize this in, 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 in low-income countries. We should prioritize it in um, small, island, small island developing states because when you compare these numbers, in small island developing states relative to their size of the economy, so their ability to withstand that loss, right? Um, then you see that it, it's a much bigger problem for you know the Vanuatus of the world um, than it is to um, even you know the Pakistans of the world, right? So you know, and definitely much much bigger than than comparing to Australia or Germany or you know out there so where I should em- emphasize and uh, uh, prioritize is I should prioritize in the small island developing states so that's that's that group of countries that involves you know includes most most of our neighbors in the um in the actually all of our neighbors in the Pacific right but other places as, as well you know places like um um the island Maldives in the in the Indian Ocean places in the South Atlantic, uh, Caribbean, and so forth. Um, so these, this kind of research allows us to say, you know, this is where we need to, to go. And, and that's what the economic profession can contribute. So economics is all, all about trade-offs and prioritizing and incentivizing. And, and, and sort of these are sort of very important concepts in, in economics. These are really important concepts in the context of dealing with the consequences of, um, of climate change. So that's, that's where I'm focusing on rather than thinking, okay, what, what, sh- what should we be doing in the next IPCC? Um, to be quite honest, I'm, I think that the IPCC has mostly achieved what it set out to do, and that is to put climate change on the global agenda. So whether we actually need another assessment report eight years from now about 
um, climate change. I hope we won't. I hope actually we won't because we will get our act together and then we won't need this IPCC. So in a sense, the IPCC assessment reports are a sign that we are failing. Um, and, and therefore, yeah, I hope that I will never have to write again on, you know, trying to argue that economists need to do more in the IPCC. Professor Ilan Otnoy, thank you so much for this wealth of insight um, and knowledge. And it's, it's been truly enlightening for us. And, and um, we really hope that if any of our listeners here have that ability to really bring about more impactful change, who knows, maybe someone listening to this podcast will be at uh, COP Dubai next week or this week as this pub this episode is being published. Um, so thank you so much for sharing and, and so much um, real useful information. And we really appreciate your time. So thank you so much. Kiara, Ben, Emma, thank you very much. Todaraba. And yeah, good luck. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Lentil Intervention Podcast. If you found this interesting, make sure you subscribe and share it with your friends.